listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Paul had the Romans at adoption. Adopted sons usually became the chief heir for their new family, including the royal family, and had no doubts about their new status. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8, Acceptance, with the last part of this message entitled, I Can Now Experience Divine Acceptance, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father in heaven, we bow, and we're amazed that in the very moment that we call out your name, we have the ear of our Creator God. That's beyond our understanding. We come to you as our Father and we say we need to be fed. And even as we need to be fed physically, oh, how we need it in our spiritual lives. We need to grow. And we pray that you would feed us through your word. And we might find it so enabling to us and how to live with you and even for you. So, Father, would you bless in that way? Would you do something that is supernatural in the way you would use your word to touch our hearts to change our lives to your honor and for our blessing. We're going to ask you to do that now. We do so in the great name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I know that uh, all of us here uh, have probably some memories, regardless how old we are, we have some memories of, let's say, our first grade. Now, you that are in the second, third grade, you remember it well, but those of us that are much older, uh, we don't have much memory of what happened during those first grade years. But I bet you most all of us have one impression that sticks with us from our very first year of school, and that is where we saw ourselves landing in the pecking order of acceptance among classmates. Some of us would say, I, I know this much, I was in the lower end, or I, I think I was in the, the upper end. If you were David or Peggy in my first grade, you knew you, you sat at the very top. You could come to school every day knowing that everybody says, you're the most popular boy and you're the most popular girl and everybody wants to be your friend and, and when you show kindness to us, we feel good. And we used to have a way to confirm <clears throat> who really was at the top of the pecking order, and that was at recess, we played a game called Tarzan. Now, some of you remember Tarzan. You probably don't know the game Tarzan that we played, but, but it, it, was a, it was a fun game unless you were on the lower, lower, lower end of that popularity pecking order. And, of course, you wanted to be, everybody wanted to be Tarzan if you were a boy or Jane if you were the girl, but that was, that was for David and Peggy. <laughs> Nobody got that. But your, your great, great hope is that you were not the last chosen because you were Cheetah. Nobody wanted to be Cheetah. <laughs> I, I, I think about Cheetah to this day. And... That guy's got to be so scarred, and I don't, I don't know if he's made it in life, because acceptance means everything. You know what it is? It's a functional Savior to every one of us to some degree. To the lesser degree, the better, but the truth of it is, it's a functional Savior. 
We look to acceptance and say, if I could just have acceptance, it would be everything to me. And I tell you, you young people, our youth, kids that are here, you know what it means to you. It means everything because it's our functional Savior. I define functional Savior as something or someone that makes us feel worthy of respect and accepted. Well, as we talk about acceptance in the series, we're in Romans chapter 8 through this series. It's a six-week series. We won't go through the entirety of chapter 8. We'll come back next year. We'll pick up where we leave off as we've done every year in the life of this church. We're going to go through 1 through 8, 1 through 8, 1 through 8 until this church is so immersed in this great truth found in God's Word until we get so embracing it. It becomes a way of life. Now, in doing so, I like to kind of prepare us for the teaching of God's Word today by laying out three, uh, what I'm going to call realities regarding acceptance. This doesn't come from God's Word. Observations, I think you will agree. If you don't, maybe you're right. But I think you probably will. And then you'll see at the end why I've placed these to begin before the teaching. So let's put up the first. The first one is this. We all crave acceptance and will pay an incredibly high price to get it. I mean, many, many, many a person... Many of us have literally sold our souls to get this functional Savior. It means that much to us. Number two, there exists the reality of what's called the power of greater love, simply meaning that the greater love always trumps the lesser love. I think you understand that when you realize that if we had the opportunity to be accepted by the popular class leader versus the not so popular call him a class misfit we say okay let's see which one will I spend my time with which one will I oh let me tell you we're going to go to the greater love that which we see to be the greatest love we're going to we're going to go right to it and we will leave lesser loves for the sake of a greater love number three Number three, we will naturally assume we're not accepted until there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary. I mean, when some unexpected news of acceptance comes to us, I'm telling you, there's something about us that makes us say, no, 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 I'm not sure I can, I'm not, I've got to have some verification. How can I know that I really am accepted? Many of you know Carol and my story of dating. It's been told in different expressions. Carol gives her version, I give mine, but they're similar. But we did date for a long time. We agree on that. And it was off and on and so forth. And and I'll tell you, on this particular night that I would ask her, would she be my wife? She had no expectation whatsoever of such an invite. But I had... I mean, ingeniously, I'd come up with a plan to get her engagement ring on her finger before I asked her. And I actually pulled it off. I won't explain how, but I did it. And so we're in the evening time, night, we're outside. No one would be able to look down and see in the darkness where we were. And I said, Carol, can I ask you a question? Would, would you marry me? Well, now, I knew from our long time of dating four or five years now that I knew that you know it was probably I wasn't expecting a no and 
I didn't get a no or a yes. I don't know the exact words, but it was something like this. Randy Pope, she had to throw that in, which says something when you hear that. <laughs> Randy Pope, if this is another one of your practical jokes, <laughs> you die. <laughs> Maybe she didn't say that, I'm not sure, but it had that tone in it, I'm sure. What she's saying is, look, I'm not expecting to hear, will you marry me? And if this, I'm not really sure, is it legitimate or not? So I want some verification. Is this real? Well, I happen to have a little pen light in my hand. And I push the button and right on her finger, her ring finger, she looks down and she sees a diamond on her finger. She knew it was real. Folks, I want you to remember this. Romans... Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, it explains our verification that we are accepted by God. If you want to know divine acceptance, you get to know Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17. You could do nothing better for yourself. And that's why we're teaching it. Let me give you some overview now. The overview of chapter 8. I call it the four greatest gifts. They're life gifts. Perhaps, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I suggest they are. There are no greater life gifts than these four. Found in Romans 8, 1 through 17, acceptance. Since we're in three weeks, this is the third of three weeks on acceptance. uh, Which really is saying I can now experience divine acceptance. Next week, I'll turn us into the next three weeks. uh, I'll be teaching suffering. Uh, Verses 18 through 27. And then you say, wait, 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 did you say the best life gifts? Did you say suffering? Absolutely so. And if you say, are you saying suffering? You need to be here. Because until we understand the role that suffering plays, you'll get a little taste of it today, but we're going to be immersed in it for three weeks, and you'll come away with a biblical theology of suffering that will take you in the coldest winters of pain and bitterness of suffering, and it'll still be hard, but you will survive because of that cloak of your good theology of suffering. In other words, I can now accept suffering. Next year, we'll come back to this where we leave off on 27, 28 through 30, we'll talk about assurance. There, that great reality, I can now expect good from all things. And then lastly, security. Well, this is a great text if you're familiar with it. 31 through 39, security. I can now be certain of eternal life. So here's the verses that we look at during this portion, 1 through 17. I put it up as an outline for you, and the outline is simply this. Week one, we talked about the testimony of God's Word. In other words, we're saying, well, how do I know that I'm accepted? How do I know I'm not condemned? I mean, the text begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Really? You mean I can know that I'm not condemned of God? As bad as I am, the way I'm thinking, the way I'm living, the way are, are you telling me? Well, I don't know. It, it depends. And so God lets us know, for those that truly are His, this is how you can know. Look at what God has to say about your acceptance. And that really is the heart of 1 through 4. Oh my goodness, you're talking about an important text? There we introduce the mystical union with Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ and Christ in us? 
Christians don't get this. They go, oh, God, I'm following Jesus. I guess I'm a Christian. I'm good. But they don't understand. And then they sin and they do all the stuff. They go, well, how can I do this? They, they live out what Paul taught in Romans chapter 7. The good I want to do, I don't do. And evil, I don't know. Why do I do it? I can't stop. Why? What's going on? The struggle that goes on. And so here he introduces, says, you've got to understand this mystical union. Because as, as we learned in chapter 7, oh, in chapter 6, oh, let me tell you, you have died to sin. Meaning that who we are and the old nature of sin, we're like this together. We can't be separated. We're a slave to our sin. And then we die to sin. And we are broken from that sin nature. Sin's still in us, but now we've been separated. We've been united with God's Spirit now. We've been baptized in Him. Well, when, when we begin to get that, now we begin to understand as, as we taught that we, you got to know this, if you feel unlovable, you will not believe you're loved, even if you are. And so he convinces us in those first verses, four verses. He convinces us we're lovable. We're lovable? How can I be lovable? Because look what I still think and do and attitudes and behavior. How can, I, how can God see me as lovable? Oh, here's how. Because before Christ, you were sin. Now in Christ, no more. Sin is in us. But sin is not us. Is he going to judge sin? Yeah. And it's in us. He'll judge the sin. But he won't judge us. We're not condemned. You've got to understand we're lovable. God's word says so. He explains it a lot there. Then we came to verses 5 through 13. Now not just does God's word say so. Our changed life says so. That's the evidence. Our lives say so. And so here the Apostle Paul will explain this newness of who we are in the flesh and how we live and, what, and the work of God in our heart. And we begin to realize, boy, there's great evidence of changed life. It's not that I am producing it, but God's producing it in me. And so we learned about that second great important. Jeff taught that last week. So good about just this is what it means. I mean, our lives say so. Now this week... We look at something that most Christians, I'd say at least many, 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 I do believe most Christians don't even understand. This portion of the work of God's Spirit. Number three, the witness of God's Spirit, 14 through 17. And so the Spirit is going to say so. Let's look at our text. Our text is Romans 8, 14 through 17. In honor of the Word of God again, let's stand. Not that we have to do this, but we like to do this from time to time. Let's stand in honor of His Word and listen to me as I read, watch carefully, and remember, this is the Word of God. Seeker, you go, how can it be? You hang around. You hang around. We believe it is. We think there's good reason to believe so. But if so, you certainly want to know what it says. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God and if children 
heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, this is great. This is the word of God. It's worth us trying to peel it open, look and see what's inside, and find out how we apply it. Let's take our seats and let's, let's do just that. Many don't understand that the ministry of the Holy Spirit includes convincing us that we really are his children. It teaches us that those who have the Holy Spirit can experience two realities which convince us that we're accepted. So here are the two, and I want you to kind of to keep these two. You see it in your outline. Number one, the Spirit's control. And we need to understand what does it mean the Spirit's control and what does that do? And that's in verses 14 and 15. And then 16 and 17, the Spirit's witness. And so we will cover both of those very, very quickly. Uh, quickly. So here's the question. How do I know I'm not condemned? How do I know I'm accepted by God? Here's the way John, the apostle, would answer it. So, so that you see it's not just Paul who's saying this. It's, it, it's really uh, John as well. They, they understood the same truths. Here's how he says it in, in chapter 3, verse 24. It says, we know by this that he abides in us. All right, that he literally is in us, that we're united with him. We have this mystical union. How do you know that? And he says, here's how you know. It's by the Spirit whom he has given us. It's the work of God's Spirit. Now we need to figure that, well, how does he do that? Well, that's what John is going, uh, that's what Paul is going to elaborate on. And so we see verse 14. We'll read it again. He says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God so here is the spirit's control and what he's saying is these that are led by the spirit we have to understand what does that mean to be led by the spirit let me give you a, a hint for you that have been kind of walking in the faith for a while you ever heard the term being filled with the Holy Spirit it's the same thing uh, if you hear uh, the terminology uh, uh, walk in the spirit it's the same thing being led by the Spirit. It has to do with His control, Him being in control of our lives. Well, Christians, every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean you're living under the control. That's a, a responsibility that is placed on us. It's active, not passive. We, I mean, He, we're passive in Him giving us His Spirit, but it's active. It's something that we do. Now, at that point, the question has to be, well, how do you do that? That would take me another 15 minutes. And I've, to me, this is such an important issue. Years ago, on our website, I have it there. You can go to perimeter.org slash pope, and you will see, for me, what I think is the most important teaching the Christian will ever, ever, ever learn. It's how to appropriate the power of God's Spirit so that every day, throughout the day, you can appropriate God's power so you don't have to live by willpower. That's what many of us are doing in here. We're saying, okay, God, I love you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do it. I will figure it out. I will obey. I will not do that anymore. And then we finally say, mm, I won't do it next time. God, I'm so sorry. And willpower won't carry us. We've got to appropriate the power of God. So if you don't know how to do that, if you don't understand that well, go on and listen to it. You have to listen to it over and over until you begin to understand. It's the teaching of Romans chapter 6. Now, having said that, he then says, these are sons of God. Those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. 
He's not saying if you're led by the Spirit, meaning you're under His control, therefore you're a Christian. If you're not living under His control, even though you're in Him, now you're not a Christian. No, 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 not at all. When he says you're sons of God, he's saying you're showing His disposition, His character, and you are reflecting who actually your Father is, who God is. So we look at, at verse 15. Very connected to 14, obviously. It says, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Fear of what? He's talking about condemnation in Romans 8. You're not living in fear of condemnation, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I love this because I relate to it in my own story. My personal story is, as a, as a, a, a youngster, I, I thought I was a Christian, went to a Protestant church, thought that might be good, you know, it didn't matter, I was Protestant or Catholic, and that's what counted, and, and, and I mean, that's kind of what we thought. And, and I was a pretty good one. I wasn't the best, I'll admit, but I was a pretty good one. And I assumed I was going to heaven. But I kept having this nagging thing that said, how do you know, and are you sure, and will you really? And man, I had no confidence at all. My church didn't do me any good because it said once you're a Christian, you can quit being a Christian. You can come back and become another Christian. You can become a Christian again and you can lose it and get it and lose it and get it. And I, I thought, oh man, I don't think I got it now. Maybe I got it. I'm not sure. And then I was introduced to the real gospel. When I understood the gospel, I said, oh my goodness. And I, I began to understand, oh, I'm his child. But you know, the night that I surrendered my heart to him which was the part I did not get when my heart surrendered I was told that that would mean I was a real Christian I think I probably became a Christian right then I don't know but I know this I felt nothing different than I did the hour before the day before or the week before and so I assumed I was not a Christian until a, a man entered my life experience and said whoa 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 no give it a little time one month, two months, you watch and see. If God's entered your life, there's going to be life change. You're going to see it. And I began to see it. And that nagging concern, am I really going to be okay when I die? Am I all right? Man, it started to dissipate until it was virtually gone. And I had this confidence. I thought, what is that? Well, little did I know the role the Holy Spirit would play that His Spirit, verse 16, we're about to look at, would bear witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. But initially, it was the changed life. That's what kind of spoke. Wow, look at the change. Maybe start thinking, yeah, maybe, just maybe I'm a Christian. Well, this control, it liberates us from fear. So he, he kind of puts in contrast to each other this idea of being led by the Spirit, which is really a relational thing. That's why Abba, Father. This relational thing led to the understanding of adoption. And so that's why he connects that. It's adoption. He's adopted us out of his family into his family. And he says, now that's in contrast to the fear of condemnation where, where you're a hired hand. You, you sense, I'm just a hired hand for God. I'm a slave. I've got to do the right things. That's religion. And so he, he just puts these two against each other. And he says, look, one's relational. And, and, and one, that's all. No, it's nothing. You, you want this Abba fathers now why does he say Abba father well in in his native tongue meaning Paul's the Aramaic language was his that was his native tongue 
And so he uses the expression that anybody would know refers to what a little child would call their father. It's Abba. Abba. Well, he also says father. He says Abba, father, for the Greek because the Jewish people would recognize one and the Greek would understand the other. But he says, I want you to put it in this family context because it really is family. But Abba, I like that. Now, the reason Abba would be used for a little child is because you don't even have to have teeth to say Abba. You're okay. The earliest you can... Now, I became a, a grandfather about uh, nearly 11 years ago. And when I became a grandfather, we were counseled. You know, you need to pick your own name because they'll pick it. And when they do, it could be embarrassing. It could be something you hate. It'll be sticking for life. So you kind of press it forward. So we did all this thinking, all right, what do we want a name to be? And it boiled down to two. One was Pops, and the other was the Reverend Grandfather Pope. <laughs> now, you know better than that. We didn't pick the Reverend Grandfather. I mean, they said, and then we'd never know who I was. Well, in a similar way, it's this Abba, Pops, Abba. And everybody understood what that meant. That meant family. It meant relationship. It meant that when dad's near, fear. Hmm. It's the idea, how do you know? It's the presence of our God. He controls. Now that's, how we, that's how we understand. But he doesn't just tell us about the importance of the Spirit's control of our life. He also wants to talk about the witness because this is something most of us don't even think about or comprehend. And so we look at verse 16, the Spirit's witness. Verse 16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Okay, what does it mean, testifies? Well, the word testifies is, is basically bearing witness. And so we remember, okay, God's word says so. Well, that helps us, yeah. And change life, that certainly does something. That's important. And understanding there's no condemnation. But he says, but, but no, there's something even beyond that. It's the witness of God's spirit. Uh, to bear testimony, literally, is the word. And so it gives this picture of a courthouse, basically. A word that would be used in a courthouse, a witness. And, and so here you are trying to testify your spirit trying to convince yourself that, oh, okay, you really are a Christian because you've seen what God's Word says, you've seen the change in life, and that should be good enough. He says, no, 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 no. It's as if you're arguing your case, and it's not convincing you that you are. And in walks the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit testifies to your salvation. At that point, case breaks wide open, and all of a sudden we say, Okay, I hear you. I understand. Here's the way Paul says it in Galatians 4. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. His spirit crying, Abba, Father. Not just ours. He's, he's convinced us. I love, I love the way that Richard Sibbs puts this. He says, sometimes our spirits cannot stand under trial. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the Holy Spirit is necessary. It comes in saying, I am your salvation. And our hearts are stirred up and comforted with joy inexpressible. This joy has degrees. Sometimes it's so strong and clear we question nothing. Other times doubts come back fairly soon. The Spirit does not always witness unto us by force of argument from our sanctification. That means our changed life. 
but directly by way of presence as the spirit of a friend's presence, and I'd like to say an Abba's presence, comforts without his speaking at all. Very special. Abba Father. Look at 17, our last verse. And if children, adopted as children, heirs of his great inheritance, what about that? And he even puts us, by describing us as fellow heirs with Christ. But then it gives a qualifier. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I'm not going to go into why he puts that in there. But the next three weeks I will. Because this is launching us into the next verses that talk about the doctrine of sufferings. It's unbelievably, unbelievably important. You see, this mystical union, it does include sonship. And we love that. And it does include inheritance. And we love that. And it does include suffering. And we don't love that. And in part because we don't understand it. And it does include glory. And we like that part. So what's the Christian life today that we hear about? Oh, we hear about sonship. Oh, man. We hear about inheritance. Wow. And we hear about glory. Yes. And so we skip suffering. And we assume that suffering has to be bad. Therefore, it must not be a part of God's plan. You're going to find out way different. And it's going to be good news, not bad news. So come the next three weeks for that. I've addressed the norm. I can't close without addressing the exception. Because I've met too many people over the years who say, Randy, to use the words that we're using here, okay, I know what God says and I believe it. And I see fruit in my life. And I see the fruit, the evidence of God working in my life. But I declare to you, I cannot, I cannot find a feeling within me that says, I am a child of God. I would give anything if I could have that insurance, if I could lay in bed at night and say, at least I know I'm God's. But I don't, I don't feel that at all. When I hear that, I like to ask two questions. Sometimes I know the answer to the question, but I'll ask it anyway. I'll say, number one, uh, are you a real follower of Christ? Do you follow him? Do you love him and follow him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you believe that if you didn't follow him the way you follow him or you didn't love, do you think any of that is based on your merit that causes him to love you and for you to be accepted. Oh, no, no, no. I know it has nothing to do with my merit. I don't believe that at all. I know it's all the work of God's grace. And then I'm convinced. And probably I'm already convinced. I say, you're a Christian. You know that up here, but you don't feel it, do you? And then I love to ask these questions. And I'm not saying it would be a perfect 100% all the time, but I'm telling you, it would be the, it'd be the, the typical I'd say, let me ask you this. Have you had some traumatic life experience in relationship that has been so hurtful it has just thrown you a loop you could, you could barely survive? And or did you have family relationship that was so abusive, that was so hard, that was so conditional in love? And do you have any kind of unusual story like that? I can't tell you, obviously, how many times it's like, yeah, that's my story. 
I said, well, that's good because now you can know why. And I relate a story, a true story. I read it was a long time ago about a child who had a, a, a very difficult condition and born without beta uh, endorphins. It's a, a condition that is very rare, but uh, this particular child had no physical sens sensory uh, ability at all. You would never know you were being touched. You could put a, a match to your finger until it just literally caught on fire. That child wouldn't know the difference. What a terrible situation to have, to not be able to suffer. Oops. Gives us a little hint, maybe, into the beauty of suffering. How that child would say, oh, if I could only suffer physical pain, then I would know. Do you know what our suffering does? It drives us away from these functional saviors and drives us to the real savior. Mm. But this child couldn't experience that. So this child had to learn to adapt and say, okay, I'm not going to ever really feel, and I know I can't feel, and therefore I can accept now why I don't feel, and I can go on now and maybe better embrace the truth of what God's Word says and what my changed life says. And unfortunately, it would be nice to have the, the, the sound of that Abba Father as, he, as the Spirit cries out inside. No, maybe that's not going to be because... This is not the norm. But just like the pilot has to now use, because maybe they don't have any sense of direction or whatever, uh, they may have to use the instruments only. And what a beauty to be able to fly without instruments, but they don't get that. You can still fly. That's the beauty of it all. Let me, let me now just repeat the last three uh, the first thing, three things we said. Now you'll see why these were important. Number one, three realities regarding acceptance. One, we all crave acceptance and we'll pay an incredibly high price to get it. Do you know what the gospel is, the good news? We don't pay any price. Jesus paid the entire price for our acceptance. Divine acceptance. Number two, there exists the reality of what's called the power of greater love. Now we begin to understand, oh, divine love, God's love, that's the greater love. Young people, this will be important to you because right now the lesser love seem to be the best that you've seen. And, and therefore, if it's the best, you're going to go after it. Even if you have to sell your soul, you're going to do it. I've got to be accepted. I've got to be accepted. And we'll do any and everything to be accepted. And then what happens to you is what happened to me when I was in high school. And I saw the power of greater love. And I said, whoa, 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 I'm accepted by God. And all of a sudden, lesser loves don't look near as attractive. So you go for the greater love. And his love is the greater love. Number three, we will naturally assume we're not accepted until there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Well, let me tell you, plenty of evidence. The evidence that God's word says so, so God says so. My life changed life says so, and now the Spirit says so. But none of those would be available to us were it not for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why I always say, go to the cross, go to the cross, go to the cross, see Jesus, see what he did, and fall in love until you hear that Abba, Father. And if you're the exception, understand why. 
and say, okay, I'm going to look real hard for what God says. I'm going to really bear in on the changed life. And God's Spirit will use the very evidence of a changed life and throw it into the face until we say, ah, I got it. So seeker, do you want the love of a divine Abba, Father? Well, you just go to Calvary's cross. Look at what he did. And imagine, he that spared not his own son, how shall he not with him give you all things until it breaks your heart and you fall in love with him? It'll be his work. Well, what a great work that'll be. Pursue him. Get around other Christians. Learn until you find your heart taken by him. And if you're a believer, I'll just say this. You are lovable. Don't you buy the lie. You are lovable. You are accepted by God. You will never experience condemnation. Never, never, never. I'll tell you this. This stuff I preach. I have to work on this for hours. Uh, That's my blessing. Sometimes I don't enjoy it, but it's my blessing. You come and you hear truth once a week. And hopefully you're getting in God's word every day a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Yesterday, I had my time with the Lord and I sang some hymns. I was reading God's truth and I was trying to understand it and try to apply it and walk. I got through it. It was nothing special. It wasn't like this, wow, it was a great time with you, God. But it was a little drip of truth on my heart. And I thought about it then. I said, Lord, I'm so thankful that just by a little bit every day, that's why we say come to God's family every week. And then you hear this and you forget it. And then I, I just make you so upset because I keep saying things over and over and over until finally it kind of births in our heart and we go, ah, oh, got it. And that's the great aha. Let me tell you, God says you will never be condemned. That's the best news you'll ever hear right there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant us even now to be able to embrace that I am now able to accept divine acceptance. I can now understand and I can have it through the work of Calvary. Would you grant that every seeker here begins to see this clear and clear until they come to hear that Abba Father. Every Christian here would live under the control of your spirit and would have the blessing of the witness of that same spirit. Thank you for your work. Bless these next weeks as we continue to talk about suffering. May, we grant, may you grant us a deep understanding in this very difficult subject matter. So we thank you. We pray all in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.